Good evening. It's now nearly half past eleven at night and I'm going to do something slightly different. I've been doing a bit of reading today or trying to because um it's hard to read when you haven't got much concentration because all you're trying to concentrate on is trying to empty your head of bad feelings etc and without being too miserable I thought I will try and read and I read something today which I thought was amazing and I'm going to read it to you so I'm going to read a letter and I'm going to name it live like a mighty river it's part of what was written in there but um it was a letter written by ted hughes um to nicholas hughes his son in 1986. ted hughes was originally one of the greatest english poets born in 1930 in yorkshire england it was in 1957 that he published his first poetry collection, The Hand, no, The Hawk in the Rain, to critical acclaim. This saw him embark on a career throughout which he was lavished with praise, right up until and including the publication of his last and most dramatic collection birthday letters, an intimate and powerful account of his relationship with fellow poet Sylvia Plath, who took her own life in 1963. In 1986, 23 years after Plath's death, Hughes wrote to their 24-year-old son, Nicholas, and quite beautifully advised him to embrace his childish self, so as to experience life to its fullest. Tragically, during a period of depression in 2009, Nicholas took his own life. He was 47. Dear Nick, I hope things are clearing. It did cross my mind last summer that you were under strains of an odd sort. I expect, like many another, you'll spend your life osculating between fierce relationships that become tunnel traps and sudden escapes into wide freedom when the world, the whole world, seems to be just there for the taking. Nobody solved it. You solve it as you get older. When you reach the point where you've tasted so much that you can somehow sacrifice certain things more easily and you have a more tolerant view of things like possessiveness, your own, and a broader acceptance of the pains and the losses. I came to America when I was 27 and lived there three years as if I were living inside a dam a, a damn it sock 
I lived in there with your mother. We made hardly any friends, no close ones, and neither of us ever did anything the other didn't want wholeheartedly to do. It meant, Nicholas, that meeting any female between 17 and 39 was out. Your mother banished all her old friends, girlfriends, in case any of them set eyes on me, presumably. And if she saw me talking with a girl student, I was in court. Foolish of her, and foolish of me to encourage her to think her laws were reasonable. But most people are the same. I was quite happy to live like that for some years. Since the only thing we both wanted to do was write, our lives disappeared into the blank page. My three years in America disappeared like a Rip Van Winkle snooze. Why didn't I explore America then? I wanted to. I knew it was there. Ten years later, we could have done it. Because by then we would have learned maybe that one person cannot live within another's magic circle as an enchanted prisoner. So take this new opportunity to look about and fill your lungs with that fantastic land while it and you are still there. That was a most curious and interesting remark you made about feeling occasionally very childish in certain situations. Nicholas, don't you know about people this first and foremost crucial fact Every single one is, and is painfully every moment aware of it, still a child. To get beyond the age of about eight is not permitted to this primate, except in a very special way, which I'll try to explain when I, when I came to Lake Victoria, it was quite obvious to me that in some sort of the most important ways <coughs> sorry when I came to Lake Victoria it's quite obvious to me in that in some of the most important ways you are much more mature than I am and your self-reliance your independence your general boldness in exposing yourself to new and to most people very alarming situations and your phenom phenomenal ability to carry through your plans to the last practical detail. I know it probably doesn't feel like that to you, but that's how it looks to the rest of us. You simply look on in envy. It's a sort of real maturity that not one in a thousand ever come near as you know but in many other ways obviously you are still childish how could you not be you alone among mankind it's something people don't discuss because it's something most people are aware of only as a general crisis of sense of inadequacy or helpless dependence or pointless loneliness 
or a sense of not having a strong enough ego to meet and master inner storms that come from an unexpected angle. But not many people realise that it is, in fact, the suffering of the child inside them. Everybody tries to protect this vulnerable two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight-year-old inside and to acquire skills and aptitudes for dealing with the situations that threaten to overwhelm it. So everybody develops a whole armour of secondary self, the artificially constructed being that deals with the outer world and the crush of circumstances. When we meet people, this is what we usually meet. And if this is the only part of them we meet, we're likely to get a rough time and to end up making no contact. But when you develop a strong divining sense for the child behind the armour and you make your dealings and negotiations only with that child, you find that everybody becomes in a way like your own child. It's an intangible thing, but they too sense when that is what you are appealing to and they respond with an impulse of real life. You get a little flash of the essential person, which is the child. Usually that child is a wretchedly isolated, undeveloped little being. It's been protected by the efficient armour. It's never participated in life. It's never been exposed to living and to managing the person's affairs. It's never been given responsibility for taking the brunt. And it's never properly lived. That's how it it is in almost everybody. And that little creature is sitting there behind the armour, peering through the slits and in its own self. It is still unprotected, incapable, inexperienced. Every single person is vulnerable to to unexpected defeat in this moment of innermost emotional self. At every moment, behind the most efficient seeming adult exterior, the whole world of the person's childhood is being carefully held like a glass of water bulging above the brim and in fact that child is the only real thing in them it's their humanity their real individuality the one that can't understand where it was born and that knows it will have to die in no matter how crowded a place quite on its own that's the carrier of all the living qualities It's the centre of all the possible magic and revelation. What doesn't come out of that creature isn't worth having, or it's worth having only as a tool for that creature to use and turn to account and make meaningful. So there it is, and the sense of itself in that little being at its core is what is always was. but since that artificial secondary self took over the the control of life around the age of eight and relegated the real 
vulnerable, super sensitive, suffering self back into its nursery. It is like training this inner prisoner. And so, whenever life takes it by surprise, and suddenly the artificial self of adaptations proves inadequate and fails to ward off the invasion of raw experience that inner self is thrown into the front line unprepared with all its childhood terrors round its ears and yet that's the moment it wants that's where it comes alive even if only to be overwhelmed and bewildered and hurt and that's where it calls up its own resources not artificial aids picked up outside but real inner resources real biological ability to cope and to turn to account and to enjoy that's the paradox the only time most people feel alive is when they're suffering when something overwhelms their ordinary careful armour and the naked child is flung out into the world that's why the things that are worse to undergo are best to remember but when the child gets buried away under their adaptive and protective shells he becomes one of the walking dead a monster so when you realise you've gone a few weeks and haven't felt that awful struggle of your childish self struggling to lift itself out of its inadequacy and incompetence you'll know you've gone some weeks without meeting new challenge and without growing and that's and that you've gone some weeks towards losing touch with yourself the only collaboration that counts is how much heart people invest how much they ignore their fears of being hurt or caught out or humiliated and the only thing people regret is that they didn't live boldly enough that they didn't invest enough heart didn't love enough nothing else really counts at all it was a saying about noble figures in old Irish poems he would give his hawk to any man that asked for it. Yet he loved his hawk better than men nowadays love their bride of tomorrow. He would mourn a dog and more grief than men, than men nowadays mourn their fathers. And that's how we measure our real respect for people. By the degree of feeling they can register the voltage of life they can carry and tolerate and enjoy. End of sermon. As Buddha says, live like a mighty river. And as the old Greeks said, live as though your ancestors. Live as though all your ancestors were living again through you. So sorry if you heard um, any annoying background noise like I did and I sometimes try to raise my voice and correct or cover up the sound of the noise in the background. Um, in terms of this reading, 
Have you ever thought about synchronicity in life? Because everything seems to stand out and hit you more. And I'm outside now. I'm outside now, so I don't want to talk too much. I'll leave it and publish this. But think about synchronicity and how how that works. Because I've been seeing a lot of stuff today. And all I can think about is 